We're here today with Madhu Geyer, Head of Investment Analytics and Sustainability for Asia Pacific at BNP Paribas Security Services to talk about how ESG is being integrated into mainstream investment practice by Asian investors. Madhu will also talk about how the convergence of ESG topics, sustainable development goals, and classic market risk market theory is changing strategic sustainable asset allocation. Madhu, can you just give us an overview of what you think are the latest trends in ESG investing during the last 12 months, especially in the light of our current uh, market conditions? So some of the things that we've seen in ESG investing more broadly, sustainability and sustainable investing in finance, is that uh, there's a rapid acceleration of uh, these assets and these investment approaches uh, globally, but more specifically into our part of the world in Asia Pacific. Uh, one of the key things that we've seen is growth in assets, the uh, Global Sustainable Investment Association uh, put a report out in April this year, the same time closely as our BSD Global ESG survey. It highlighted the rapid growth in sustainability and sustainable assets, uh, especially in markets like Australia, markets like Japan, we had uh, more than double-digit, in fact, uh, you know, uh, multiple percentage growth. And so one of the things that's coming through is that as people are investing uh, into more ESG and more sustainable assets, uh, they're also looking at integrating ESG into the investment portfolio programs a lot more as well. Um, so at BNP Paribas, what we've found is that there are a number of ways of looking at ESG. Of course, uh, screening and to you know, avoid certain sectors and industries. There's also, of course, uh, engagement. So people and uh, investors are looking more to engage with corporates, engage with companies on key ESG issues and topics. And more broadly, therefore, the significant growth has come through in integration of ESG into mainstream investment portfolios and into mainstream investment practices. The influences, therefore, are pretty uh, dramatic, uh, especially for Asia-Pacific. We've seen a lot more of uh, asset owners become uh, signatories to the United Nations uh, PRI, the Principles for Responsible Investment, mm. uh, as, a, as the only global custodian uh, signatory to the PRI ourselves. Mm. Uh, we've seen a rapid growth in the signatories, uh, especially coming from Asia Pacific. Uh, the recent, uh, in the last month, for example, we've seen uh, a Chinese asset to become the first signatory as well. And so we've seen a rapid uh, growth in the space of uh, large institutions affirming their views and uh, looking at sustainability and responsible investments as core data investment practices. I think one of the things that uh, we're also looking at is around uh, disclosure. They're looking at the questions of uh, data, the questions of uh, information, and being able to access that so that they can embed sustainability more readily into their investment programs. Um, if you look at uh, the results of the BNP Paribas 
other interesting statistic that came out of our survey was that we've seen uh, you know, a real take-up of Amsterdam, especially in Asia-Pacific, awarding mandates to asset managers specifically because of ESG topics or ESG mandates, for example. Um, so we see the, definitely this as becoming uh, mainstream. Uh, I think this notion of ESG sustainability will essentially become, you know, testing. Uh, we won't have to put it responsible for it or sustainable before it. We'll just be talking about investing uh, going forward. I think this is where the rapid growth and the uh, mainstreaming of ESG is very apparent, uh, certainly uh, globally and certainly uh, in Asia Pacific. Madhu, how can ESG and sustainability issues be embedded in strategic asset allocation decision-making processes. Can you please give us examples, especially in the Asian context? So in terms of uh, embedding the ESG or sustainability issues into strategic asset allocation, uh, this came about in terms of a uh, working paper, a discussion paper that I contributed to along with the uh, UNPRI. And the presentation, we, made, we presented the paper at the PRI person conference in Paris. Um, just in the last couple of weeks. We looked at uh, strategic asset allocation as essentially the driver of where um, capital allocation is being made by large institutional investors. And one of the things that really comes through is that ultimately asset allocation is uh, ultimately the driver of uh, returns on, on a, a long-term basis. And so to get that correct, to get that right, is of paramount importance for institutional investors. And this is really about thinking about setting objectives and you know what are your primary risk return objectives, uh, but also considering a third dimension. Um, so what is the positive real-world impact of setting those targets and those objectives? Uh, when you review those targets and ranges, you know, what's the impact of ESG risk and opportunities? Um, and again, looking at uh, aspects of uh, real-world impact, looking at things like scenario analysis, for example, and as well, looking at things like opportunity set. So, you know, does ESG give you the ability to look at uh, risks and opportunities in a more broader context, to take into account financial information, uh, that you can look at, uh, you know, uh, themes around climate, themes around natural capital, for example, uh, themes around biodiversity, themes around social integration. So all of those aspects are... Uh, uh, part of the puzzle, part of the strategic asset allocation decision-making process. We, in fact, uh, now uh, in the panel, we talked a little bit about it's not strategic, it's actually about sustainable asset allocation, um, because ultimately an asset allocation framework is for long-term. Uh, to get that right for the long-term really means embedding sustainability into that framework and into that process. Now, one of the things that we also uh, considered as part of uh, this, this working paper, the discussion paper, was to think really around this positive real-world impact. And in fact, the things that uh, are, are really key is that we know the sustainable development goals um, that have been in existence uh, are of particular importance to Asia. Mm. In terms of the demographic change and the move from you know, almost a producer economies to consumer economies, the rapid, uh, you know, growing of the population in certain parts of Asia. So the sustainable development goals really then uh, matter a lot to Asia. Mm -hmm. And so how do we have that embedded within the 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we look at, for example, are there topics or are there challenges that resonate really well in certain uh, countries, certain regions, certain um, geographies, certain industries, um, and taking a fresh view of those. So it could be, for example, looking at uh, a number of issues that relate to climate change in Asia, but how does it relate to you know, ASEAN versus China, for example, technological mm. change, disruption. Mm. Um, so these are the kinds of uh, examples that uh, would be reviewed as part of uh, the SAA or the Sustainable Asset Allocation. And I think especially in Asia where a lot more focus on uh, risk return, a lot more focus on uh, long-term uh, life of management, especially in uh, markets such as uh, Japan, for example. Um, one of the things that's uh, key now is topics of governance, topics of uh, environmental uh, impact, and of course, uh, the integration of social uh, issues into these is, is really important. One of the things that also we consider is, uh, it's really about things like um, capturing what we call liquidity premium. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for example, as uh, asset owners are allocating more to things like infrastructure or private equity, uh, you know, forestry, timber, those kind of um, assets, uh, you know, FAA or sustainable asset allocation is the way to look at from a long-term perspective and understand, you know, do these long-term uh, assets act as viable proxies uh, for things like uh, fixed income and fixed income markets markets develop further in Asia. Um, so this is another way to capture the liquidity premium uh, and make sure that your long-term investment objectives are mapped back to uh, the available investment opportunity set and actually opening it up as well. Uh, one of the things that uh, is really been key is around looking at it in a very risk-adjusted uh, perspective. Mm. But we've been uh, looking at it in BNP Paribas in terms of scenario analysis various transitioning portfolios uh, for long term, you know, what is the impact of, uh, you know, climate change on specific sectors and specific regions, uh, for example. This is not new. Everyone does stress testing. Everyone has looked at market risk. Mm. But the uh, confluence or the convergence of ESG topics, the sustainable development goals, and classic market uh, risk and market theory is, I think, where there's a uh, very exciting uh, change coming through in terms of, uh, you know, the strategic or sustainable allocations as well. What are the common challenges of embedding ESG or sustainability issues into strategic asset allocation, especially for institutional investors? So some of the challenges in terms of ESG is for sustainability issues. When it stemmed from, I would say, three layers, and in the BNP Paribas Global ESG Survey earlier this year, we identified that uh, asset owners especially were grappling with the three issues. Issue one is really around data. Now, data, especially in emerging or developing markets, is very much uh, you know, disclosure-based, mm. uh, and the number of issues come, come through there. Uh, do the investing companies know what to disclose? Do they know uh, what metrics to talk about? Uh, how often to disclose? Uh, so there's questions of taxonomy, the questions of consistency, for example, uh, and timeliness. 
have the data. And so you certainly could, uh, you know, get a lot of robust data at some point for a particular sector or a country or a region. How do you make sense of it? How do you generate analytics insights uh, out of that that are actionable, that you can put into an investment framework, that you can give to a portfolio manager, you can give to a chief investment officer so they can act on it uh, and embed that into their decision-making process. And the third thing uh, that we also found in our survey that a lot of folks are grappling with is the talent, the expertise. So we've got the data, we've got the analytics, and we've worked hard at getting those in place. But with the expertise in actually transforming all of those into, you know, uh, portfolios that are more sustainable over the long term that can capture disruption, that can capture the opportunities, but also, you know, as you mentioned, the real world impact, the ability to recognize that uh, after allocation and those programs are there, yes, to make risk adjusted returns, but there's also a uh, objective of real world impact and uh, benefiting the real world economy well through the process. Some of the challenges uh, in terms of you know, how do you overcome those, people looking at multiple ways of overcoming these challenges. Uh, we see, for example, on the talent side, uh, more people that are uh, outside of the financial industry coming into the financial industry that might be coming from uh, you know, uh, non-government organizations. They could be coming from uh, you know, entirely different sectors, such as renewables, for example, or, or forestry, but uh, coming into the national industry to add their expertise. Uh, and we see investment teams being built with uh, non-financial experts coming in to provide that uh, support. We also see, in terms of uh, data, uh, a huge surge in interest that we build out of uh, artificial intelligence, uh, the ability to use uh, natural language processing mm. uh, to get alternative data sources into the picture. So, for example, uh, geospatial uh, data, satellite imagery to understand, uh, you know, uh, forestry patterns or degradation of forest, for example, uh, and uh, how does that impact, for example, uh, you know, specific metrics for a sector or for a country, and therefore for uh, economies and companies. So some of these, uh, I guess, out-of-the-box thinking that's mm. uh, coming through. One of the benefits of challenge, of all these kind of challenges, is that you have innovation. Yes. I think one of the great things we're seeing, especially in Asia, is the innovation that uh, we we, we uh, have been very strong at for mm -hmm. uh, years, number of fields. And I think ESG sustainability is driving a lot of innovation and disruption. Um, the rise of uh, fintechs uh, in being able to support uh, classic investment analyses with uh, you know new forms of data, new forms of analytics. Uh, we've seen you know a focus on things like uh, uh, you know real time understanding of controversies for uh, companies. They mm. happen in the media. How does that impact the company? What does it mean to your share price? But also, what does it mean in terms of revenue targets? In a potential uh, risk impacts and so forth. So, a number of ways that these challenges are being tackled. Mm -hmm. uh, 